Hi, Pastor John here. We're so glad to have you with us. I'd like to ask you a question today. Have you ever seen one of those movies where something happens at the end, some incident at the end that makes everything in the movie make sense? Makes you want to go back and watch the movie again to see if you can get all the hints? Well, that's what our sermon is about today. Our sermon is Open Our Eyes, Lord, out of Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Let's join the service in progress, and I hope you'll hang around a little bit afterwards. I've got a message to share with you. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 13 through 35 today. So if you open up your phones or your iPads, or if if any of you still have one of those page eternity things, you can open that up. And while you're looking for that, I want to tell you about a movie. Now, I'm not suggesting this movie. It's not a biblical, scriptural movie. You're not going to find it on the Angel Channel. But it's a movie called The Sixth Sense. Has anybody seen that movie? Okay, I'll put your hands down. You don't want to admit that. (laughs) And the great thing about it is, you know, there's this guy in the movie, and he meets this little boy, and the little boy has some strange manifestations and everything, and the guy's trying to figure out what's going on with the little guy and everything. And, and throughout the entire movie, he's kind of trying to help the guy. The little, the little guy's trying to help him and everything. And there's a surprise. There's a surprise at the end. Something happens at the end. And what we find out at the end of that movie, and we've seen this in other movies and in books we read and that sort of thing, is you really got to know the end of the story. That's our truth for today. You have to know the end of the story. Uh, Now, we're going to see that in our passage today, uh, but the last time we got together, we asked if you were resurrected with Christ. We we talked about, are you crucified with Christ? Do you really know what that means? And praise God, uh, it's not just the crucifixion that we are involved in with Christ, it's the resurrection as well. And the question we ask is, are you resurrected with Christ? Do you understand what that means? And of course, we all know that it means that we're, we're living with a new heart. We have a new life. We're new creatures. The question is, if that's true, has anything in your life changed? Are you just claiming, oh, I've got a new life. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm a happy guy, so on and so forth. Has anything changed? And listen to me carefully, because we're not looking for a change in you. Listen carefully. Is there any change, not necessarily about you, but in your perception of God, in your perception of the holy nature of God, the primary element of our new life is not, brothers and sisters, our new hearts. It is not being a new creature. It's not even a deeper understanding of grace. Those are all good things. And those all come to a believer. But if you stop to think about it, they're all about us. About, oh, you, things are this, things are that. I've got this, I've got that. In order to live our new lives to its fullest possible extent, we need a shift in our perspective. The focus needs to move from us to God. The primary element of our new lives is a new, regenerated, awestruck perception of the holiness and the perfection of God. That should humble us. That should make us appreciate what God has done and what He continues to do in our lives. 
Now, to acquire that new perception, to lay hold of that new life, we need to have our eyes opened. We need to have our eyes open. Matter of fact, that's the sermon title today. Open our eyes, Lord. And what we're going to see in our passage is that there are two ways to see. So in verses 13 through 24, Luke 24, 13 through 24, we're going to see seeing with your eyes closed. Think about that. You can close your eyes while you're thinking about it. Okay, and in verses 25 through 35, we're going to say seeing with our eyes open and what the difference is. So let's take a look at this eyes closed issue here. Some, now, now, the last time we were in Luke, some, people, some women have gone to the tomb. They've been charged with the first ones to share the gospel. Peter's gone to the tomb, um, we, we think. Um, maybe John is with him. And Peter's so overwhelmed by what he saw, he just goes home. He's like, okay, I need to absorb this. <laughs> I need some time. Uh, I, I think he went home to get his stuff because everything was changing, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. So on verse 13, it says, that very day. Now, we're talking about the same day as the resurrection. Two of them, this is two of the group mentioned in uh, verse 9 of chapter 24. Uh, and, and we're talking about the 11 and all the people that were kind of grouped together there. There were more than 11. Uh, so two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, we really don't know where Emmaus is today. We can't go find that, but there are some ideas. We just haven't been able to locate it. So the people in the first century, hearing this, reading this, would know exactly where they're talking about. It would have been a familiar area. So we know it's in the area of Jerusalem. Uh, we know that it's in the area of where the resurrection took place. And the thing that we need to understand is that we're talking about a specific geographic location. Uh, it isn't just something made up. Uh, so we have a specific geographic location, a very specific time. And what this establishes is what we call the historicity of what's happening, the historical nature of what's going on here. And this is why Luke includes stuff like this. Verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they're talking, verse 15, and discussing together, now what we got is this talking and discussing. This is an animated discussion. They're not in an argument, but they're, they're, they're and what we're going to see is they're trying to figure out what just happened. And, okay, what do you think? And what did you see? And what have you heard? And here's what I think. And it just goes on and on. So while they're in the middle of this animated discussion, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Wow! They're just walking along the road, and Jesus is behind. He's kind of catching up. And he shows up, and you go, ah, does this change the discussion any? Well, it doesn't, because in verse 16, it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is important. Mark says Jesus appears in another form. We're not entirely sure what happened here. And, and this is kind of a emblematic of what happens after the resurrection. Jesus shows up and people are like, who's that? So whatever is going on, something's changed. But what we need to zero in on is not that something changed, but that they were kept from recognizing. God is withholding his self-revelation in this particular moment. This goes back to the sovereignty of God. We can teach all on that for months and months. 
But what we need to understand is that there's nothing wrong with them. Maybe there's something different about Jesus. Whatever is going on, they're not allowed to see. They're not allowed to look at it. Now, there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we need to understand as well that something miraculous is occurring. Now, what Luke is trying to say is that Jesus is is physically resurrected. There there might be some differences in what's going on. The Holy Spirit is moving here, although He hasn't been poured out yet. Uh, But Jesus is there, and He's somehow different. Still, they're kept from seeing who He was. Jesus is not quite ready to show Himself to these two men. Verse 17, And He said to them, Jesus said to them, What's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. Now, so they're walking along. The, 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 uh, the stranger shows up. They don't recognize him. He goes, well, what are you talking about? And they go, they stop. It's an important moment, right? And, and so, did, did you just say, what are we talking about? And they're looking sad. Now, these men are grieving. They're carrying a burden. They don't know the whole story yet. They've heard snippets. They've heard some testimony. A few things have happened. Uh, They were part of the group that followed Jesus. They heard Him teach. They saw the miracles. But they also saw Him die. The problem is, they've drawn conclusions about what happened based on their reason. And even as they hear the truth from other people, they're so set in their thinking that they aren't about to change their minds. As a matter of fact, they might be feeling a little bit superior because they, they, they got to a point where all this stuff happened and they said, you know what? We're going home. He's dead. They've given up. And you can kind of see that in verse 18. Then one of them said, one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? Now, there's their superior. What are you, what, 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 what is your, what, what's wrong with you, boy? Now, a million and a half people in Jerusalem, we get stuck with the guy that's not paying attention. Don't you know anything instead of Jesus defending himself What he does is he draws them into a conversation. Verse 19, he said to them, what things? Now you can see them looking at each other. And they said to him, listen, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. Not Messiah. Not anymore. Not Lord, but a prophet. Verse 20, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Watch that. See that? We had hoped that he was the Redeemer. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. They've given up. All their dreams, everything they've done for the last three years, shattered. Dust on the ground. 
And, then, 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 and what's really amazing is in verse 22, they say, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Incredible irony. You see Jesus going, really? They didn't see him. How about that? Lord's standing right there, and they still don't see him. And, and so without some transformation, without some type of help, these men have made up their minds. They're going home. They're going home blind, and they've only got part of the story. And at this particular moment, their eyes are closed. They can't see what's going on. For them, this is the end. What they need, what they need is for their eyes to be opened. And that portion of our talk starts in verse 25. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, listen, he says, oh, foolish ones. Now, this is not, you're an idiot. This is a, aren't you aware? This is a little bit of, you know, you should know a little bit better than what you just told me. Because he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. He said, literally, he said, you know what? This is going to come on you. It's coming on a little slowly, so let's talk about this. But I don't think you're thinking about everything that the prophets have said. In verse 26, he kind of summarizes, said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Now, now Jesus is in control of the situation. See what just happened? He went from this traveler that didn't seem to be uh, aware of anything to taking the front lead on the conversation. And he does it by encouraging them to do what? To look back. To look back on what? To look back on the scriptures, to recall their scriptures. And you, and we can see this. You could look at it later on today. You look at Psalm 31, Psalm 69, Psalm 118, Isaiah 53. They're all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can land just about anywhere in the Old Testament and find something out about Jesus. So all of these passages portray a righteous, suffering Messiah. Jesus is literally saying, why are you so surprised that he suffered? Isn't that what your scriptures say? So these, these two travelers were wrapped up in the belief of the day. They didn't believe in a suffering Messiah. They never for a moment thought that the Messiah would die. They, along with most of the Jews, believed that the Messiah would come and defeat their enemies. He was going to be this victorious guy that just vanquished all the people who had ever oppressed the Jews. And you know what? There's enough scripture to support that. But when you look at all Scripture, it's just not there. And so we need to ask ourselves, how many people in the evangelical church today, in particular here in the United States, believe that our Lord and Savior is here to defeat our enemies? I mean, isn't that the general attitude that's out there? Get the right guy in office, everything will be fine. Get, get rid of all these people who disagree with us, all these people that are living ungodly, unholy lives. You wait until the Lord shows up, he'll take care of them. 
That was the attitude in first century Palestine. God coming to vindicate us. Is that what the Scriptures tell us? Yeah, we can find a verse here and there taken out of context and try to make it mean that we're saved into a better quality of life. That we're saved into happiness. Saved into victory over, you put fill in the blank, poverty, sickness, those who disagree with us. But the full counsel of Scripture, and this is what Jesus is trying to say to them, tells a different story. Just like it did to the Jews of the first century. That we're saved, brothers and sisters, we are saved into holiness. We are saved into sanctification. God's going to take care of all the rest of the stuff. But his job isn't to make us right. His job is to make us holy and humble. Jesus showed us that when he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. So by now, we, we, we all know, we know that most of the Jews got it wrong. They wanted a God of their expectations, and we need to ask ourselves if we want the same thing. Scriptures tell a different story. And Jesus goes deeply into the Scriptures to remind them. It's a short verse, but listen to what he says. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. Now those two guys must be going, well, wait a minute, what's happening? <laughs> okay, what's going on here? This seemingly oblivious guy that's not very up on current events seems to be an expert in the Scriptures. And what he does is when we talk, when we see Moses and the prophets, he goes through the entire biblical narrative. They're seven miles from Jerusalem. It's about a six or seven hour walk. And Jesus goes through the entire Bible to describe himself. Now, if you get nothing out of our time together today, get this. Jesus uses the Old Testament to describe himself. He uses the Old Testament to describe himself. You can walk into any significant number of churches today and hear them say the Old Testament has nothing for us. Well, it had something for these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And it was important enough that Jesus used it. Now, we have the advantage of knowing what this strange traveler is doing. We get it. But Cleopas and his friend, they don't. They're unaware of whom they're talking to. So in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. So, and and, and it, it's not like Jesus is just, just walking away from it. Jesus is going, well, I'm going to go now. You know, I guess our talk's over. You're home. And so he's, he's waiting for them to invite him. But they urged him strongly, verse 29, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now, you know, it might have been that they were tired, it might have been that it's just, and, and, and this is most likely what's going on, it's just dangerous to travel at night when you're outside the city. So they're offering hospitality. There was an obligation that they had. They're doing the right thing. 
And, and so in verse 30, they sit down and have dinner. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, again, there's some animation here. This is Jesus with the bread going, see what I'm doing here? <laughs> okay, and so the language that used is very similar to the language we see in the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. Very similar to the language you see in the Last Supper in chapter 22. It's not an accident. Jesus, after telling them that they should not be surprised that the Messiah suffered and died, now reminds them of times when they were together. They've been traveling with him for three years. He has actively revealed in, in, in two steps who he is by using Scripture, and now he jolts these two travelers with something that only Jesus and his followers would know about. And what happens? Verse 31, And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. Now, this isn't like, hey, wait a minute! I mean, their eyes were closed. And with this interaction with Jesus, with an understanding of the Scriptures, with an understanding of who Jesus is and how He personally interacts with them, all of a sudden they see. The illumination of Scripture and a personal encounter, the men see. Now they know. And upon that revelation, a miracle occurs. You would think this would be, oh, this is fantastic. Jesus is with us. He's sitting there. He's breaking bread. We're going to have a great night. He vanishes from their sight. What? I mean, this, this resurrected body is a little bit different than the other one, right? They finally see, but at that moment, he just goes away. He became invisible. Why? Why didn't they hang around? Well, Jesus wanted to show these guys two things. He wanted to teach them two lessons. Number one, that he was the Messiah. And number two, that he is alive. He just had a meal with him. So he's not some apparition. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He just sat down and had a meal with him. He's alive. He's revealed himself in Scripture. And between the revelation of who he is and the personal interaction with Jesus Christ, they're transformed. They were blind. And now they see. They've been forever changed. They knew part of the story. Now they know most of it. <laughs> the testimony that he's alive is now going to be on their lips. But that's not the only place it's going to be. Listen to verse 32. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The testimony that he's alive is in their hearts. It's a message that go with them everywhere they go. They've been given that new life. They've been given a new energy, a new reason for living. They have seen the risen Lord, and He has forever changed them. It's just a beautiful moment. You want evidence of the change? Look what they do. Verse 33, And they rose that same hour, and return to Jerusalem. It's the middle of the night. They've got a seven or eight hour walk ahead of them. They left. 
because it was all over. They're going home sad. And now they want to get back with the guys and the girls in Jerusalem. Wait a minute, we got to go back. Oh, but it's dangerous. Didn't we just tell them that he should stay? Yeah, but we got to go back. Everybody in Jerusalem has to hear what just happened. Wow. They're charged up with what they just saw. They're eager to get back to the disciples. And, and the second half of 33, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, now, now this is the group that's saying this, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, Peter. They locate their group, find out that yes, Peter's had a similar experience. He went home, but now he's back with the group. It's on everyone's lips and it's in everyone's hearts as well. And everybody wants to hear. So you could see, you could feel what that room looked like. Look, look, look what I just heard. Look what I just saw. No, 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 no. Look what I just heard. Look what I just saw. It's a life-changing event. Knowing Scripture and having a personal encounter with Jesus Christ is a life-changing event. Verse 35, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. These two men have endured incredible sadness and grief. And all of a sudden, they're filled with joy and excitement. They're fellowshipping with other people who believe the same way. Because now, now they see. Now they know the end of the story. So we looked at, we just saw two ways of seeing, and we saw eyes closed where you really can't see anything. A lot of ways to be blind, brothers and sisters. We just saw some of them. Our expectations can blind us, our self centeredness can blind us, our preconceptions of what God is like and what He should be doing can blind us. But the worst blindness of all comes from not knowing the truth and from not knowing the Scriptures. You know, I, I say this a lot. We need to read our Bibles. And I, I know that most of you expect me to say it each time I get up here. And I do. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I because I know how hard that can be. I know how easy it is to just set it aside. I get it. So when I say we need to read our Bibles, I'm putting myself on the line here. I can't ask you to do it if I'm not doing it. Amen? We need to read our Bibles. And what I've found is that the people that object to that the most vociferously, the most energetically, aren't reading their Bibles. We need to read our Bibles. And, and you know what? We need to read the whole thing. <laughs> Somebody said, where do you want me to start? I said, how about Genesis? <laughs> wow, that's going to take a long time. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But we need to know the whole thing. We need to know the God whose image we are being conformed to. We need to know the God who has saved us. 
We need to know that God didn't do all this just to make me a happier person, but to make me a holier person. We need to see that over and over again. We need to see, we need to see that our failures don't disqualify us from God's love. We need to see that there are, even though our failures don't disqualify us from God's love, that there are earthly consequences for our sin. We need to see all that. And we need to see that no matter how many of those sins rack up, and no matter how many consequences there are, our Father in Heaven still loves us and still has sent His Son to die for us. We need to see that the only way that we can access that is to repent, to confess our sins, to receive Him as Lord and Savior. And then allow that transformation to open our eyes. We need to see that we're not here to play at being Christians. God is serious about this. And you can't do it if your eyes are closed. And you can't just wait around and say, Oh Lord, open my eyes. He will open your eyes through your reading of the Scriptures what the Holy Spirit does. So, the other way of seeing it is our eyes open. And we find out that God moves miraculously to help us see. Cleopas and his traveling companion knew their scriptures. Watch this. They knew their scriptures. But they didn't know their Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're familiar with him, but not in a saving way. Faith and trust weren't there. When things went downhill and Jesus was crucified, they gave up. I think a lot of us can sympathize with that. You ever feel like giving up? You ever feel like throwing in the towel? Disappointment and grief take hold. It's just not worth it anymore. I think I'll just go home. Now the two men in our story were at a disadvantage. They had to rely on some outside force. And in this case, with all grace, it was Jesus himself there to open our eyes. But if we continue to read on past Luke and go into Acts, you know they were originally one volume. They were broken up sometime around the third century or so. But if we read into Acts, we see that another promise is fulfilled. Jesus told his followers that he had to go away so that he could send a what? Helper. A helper. I don't need any help. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love this. I used to think if I sleep with my Bible under my pillow, then the Holy Spirit will just kind of, there'll be some osmosis that occurs and I'll wake up smarter than I did before I went to sleep. It didn't work. Okay? So, what does the Helper do? He brings to our remembrance everything that Jesus said to us And where can we find everything that he said to us? (laughs) In our Bibles. It's in our Bibles. And when we do, Jesus reveals himself through the Scriptures just like he did to those guys on the road to Emmaus. 
So our two walkers had this moment that changed everything to put everything that they had seen into perspective. And what, it, what, what happened was they began to look back. And it burned in their hearts. Everything changed. They've, had, uh, they've endured incredible sadness, incredible grief, and now they're filled with joy and excitement. The extent of the transformation is just absolutely amazing. They were shattered, and now they're whole. They were burdened, but now they've got peace. They've got joy. They're eager to tell everybody about it. They were shrouded in darkness, and now there's light. They were hopeless, and now there's hope. They were blind, and now they see. They thought Jesus was dead, but now they know he's alive. And this is just, it's just the beginning for them. Because now... Now they know the end of the story. Now when they read the scriptures, they'll see the hints. They'll see the clues as to who Jesus is. And they'll be able to go forward knowing that all the promises that have been fulfilled up to that point are a deposit on the promises to come. The promises are as accurate as the hints that he left. In the sixth sense, right there at the end, the guy who's trying to help the little boy finds that. The little boy says, I can see dead people. Not scriptural. But in the end of the movie, the main character finds out the little boy can see him. And it changes everything. If you've ever watched the movie, your first impulse is to go back and watch it again. All the hints are there. They go, why didn't I get that? Brothers and sisters, that's a worldly example of how scriptures work. We confess our sins. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ be our Savior. We read the scriptures and our eyes open. Our eyes open. Because we found the end of the story. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And he's promised us a home with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you reveal yourself through this incredible set of scriptures, Lord. We don't know how that works. We can't explain it. But somehow, your spirit in us, oh Lord, it's a crucial element of our salvation, the indwelling Holy Spirit that whispers your truth to us. And the more familiar we become with that truth, the greater his voice is. Father, deliver us from being distracted. Deliver us from pouring our time and our efforts and our treasure into anything other than you and your word. Deliver us, Father, from thinking that our salvation is all about us and into the understanding that it's about you and your glory and that when we are saved, Father, we just get caught up in you bringing glory to yourself and revealing yourself to the world. Let that be our mission, Father to share that testimony with the same energy that group of people did in Jerusalem four days after you were resurrected. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. I know it's cold out. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week.
Pastor John here once again, and let me thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to participate in our ministry, there's three ways to get a hold of us. You can find us on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. We're on Facebook at WBFVA. And we're also on YouTube at WBFVA. Maybe you're watching us there now. So we would love to hear from you. If you have prayer requests, if you have, if you just want to talk to somebody, give us a call, drop us a line, send me a note. I would love to be able to chat with you for a while. Before you go, though, let me ask you to do this favor for me. Would you go down to the bottom of the screen on the YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up if you listen to our broadcast. Even subscribe to our channel so that you can keep up with our teaching. God bless you, and thanks again for joining us.